Hey, everybody. Stu's back. We talk a little bit about the weird Super Bowl experience that he had where he was just drunk and and spreading co- uh, coronavirus to all the CNN people. You're oh. welcome, Tampa. Uh, so we have a little bit on that. Also, some really disturbing news from the IMF, and it revolves a little bit around the new passport that everybody's uh, talking about now, at least in the uh, circles of the elite. We've got to have some coronavirus vaccination passport. It goes deeper than that. How are you going to get a loan? IMF has solved this, and uh, it's a little frightening. Also, what is happening to the California schools on ethnic-based training? And the woman with gorilla glue in her hair. (laughs) Hello, paging Dr. Darwin, Dr. Charles Darwin. All of that on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hello, America. I pray that my voice is heard for what I'm trying to say uh, and not what people want to hear on either side. Um, it is really important that you pay attention to the news. And a lot of, I know a lot of people in my own life that are not paying attention to the news and they've been really tired. And I'm going to tell you a story a little later on about how Facebook has decided now they're not going to cover as much political stuff. Oh, really? So when we're talking about 52 executive orders, you don't want to talk about political stuff. It's going to be harder to pay attention And things are going to get more and more complex, and it's going to be harder to understand what's going on because it is so foreign to us. Tonight, I am covering um, this this activity now that is is I think the new McCarthy era. Axios did a story yesterday: how to deprogram America's extremists. The writer has called for keeping extremists out of the institutions where they could do the greatest damage, like the military, police departments and legislatures, and providing help for those who have embraced dangerous ideologies. You notice they don't put those in schools. It's the police departments, the military and legislature, but they don't even mention EDU. And I think that's because they know no one with a dangerous ideology i.e. conservative point of view, is in EDU or ever going to get through EDU. Now, it is unclear as to who will determine what is dangerous ideology and what, you know, will constitute such a defining term. But that's where big tech comes in. The article continues to say online platforms are unwavering in their commitment to root out conspiracy theories and lies that undermine the faith in democracy. (laughs) Axios spoke to experts on this. Uh Uh-huh. The article says, banning President Trump from Twitter was a major asset in the fight to slow or reverse radicalization. The Axios article calls for a Marshall Plan, which would be implemented throughout Facebook and Twitter through censorship it claims the united states requires quoting an all-out national effort to dismantle 
all ideas that supposedly undermine faith in democracy. It seems the writer of the newsletter uh, doesn't understand uh, the word democracy, or maybe they do, and they don't understand that we're a republic. Democracy is not failing us. The republic system is a republic. You can't have a democracy. You can't. Do do you want to vote on the banking rules that came out yesterday? Did you even know banking rules were coming out yesterday? There's too much for the average citizen. And that's why democracies always go to an authoritarian or a dictatorship, because they just they overwhelm the people. The people say, I don't know. He looks good. He can handle this. And you have democracy votes by the public voting in dictatorships. So there's a democracy until there's not. That's why we have a republic. But what is failing us now is our republic. Do you believe on either side, Republicans or Democrats, that your elected Congress people really, truly are reflecting what you and people in the country actually believe? Are they carrying out the things that you believe are right and righteous for this country? Term limits. How about they can't all get rich on insider trading? Do, do you, are they carrying these things out? Do you think it's cool that we're just printing money and nobody's doing anything? How about this? Do you think it's cool that we haven't had a budget for this nation, the largest, richest nation in the history of the world, that we don't even have a budget and haven't had one since 2008? The Republic is failing us because we are not demanding that they actually do their work. Big tech now is the arbiter of truth. And I'm not sure what dangerous ideology is anymore as it is being defined by those in power. The idea of a conservative and a conspiracy theorist That line is being blurred. The New York Times just last year started to refer to me. It used to say a known, a well-known conspiracy theorist or an alleged conspiracy theorist. Now it's just Glenn Beck, comma, conspiracy theorist. I told you yesterday that the IMF had an academic paper out. And they are suggesting now that non-financial data should be used when financial institutions discern, uh, determine customers' creditworthiness for loans, various kinds, by non-financial data. That means things like the type of browser and hardware that you use to access the Internet, the history, I'm quoting, the history of online searches and purchases. So what kind of computer and phone I have? And the past purchases and what I'm reading, what websites I'm going to. I want to just read, go over. We went over this yesterday, but I want to go over it because there's new news. 
The most transformative information uh, innovation is the increase of the new types of data coming from the digital footprint of customers, various online activities, mainly for credit worthiness analysis. Credit scoring using so-called hard information, income, employment, time, assets and debts is nothing new. Typically, the more data is available, the more accurate is the assessment. But this method has two problems. First, hard information tends to be pro-cyclical. It boosts credit expansions in good times, but exacerbates contraction during downturns. The second most complex problem is a certain kinds of people like new entrepreneurs, innovators, many informal workers might not have enough hard data available as well as even a well-paid expatriate moving to the United States can be caught in the conundrum of not getting a credit card for lack of credit. FinTech, financial tech, resolves the dilemma by tapping various non-financial data, the type of browser hardware used, yada, yada, yada. This, of course, is a financial social credit system. We have been warning about this for years. This is one of the most dangerous parts of what is being called the Great Reset, and this is just the beginning. In the same article from the IMF later, the same authors then say the central banks need to get more directly involved in economic activity and that more money printing in downturns is likely going to be necessary. The environment, I'm quoting from the article, the environment for monetary policy will change too. New monetary policy transmission channels will be need to be fully understood as the new players make banks less relevant for the financial system. Central banks may need to adjust their monetary policy implementation toolbox, potentially allowing non-bank access to liquidity lines and incorporating them in their operations. Okay, so that's what I told you about yesterday. Do you remember when uh, Cuomo told the banks in New York, you can give loans to gun manufacturers, but if you do, there's just going to be more regulations on you guys. And we're going to have to have more state inspectors because we just think there's something wrong with these gun manufacturers and gun stores. We think, you know, that there's some violation of some law. Uh, So, you know, we're not telling you not to loan. We're just saying that it's going to make your, you know, state assessments every year. It's going to be more and more difficult for you because we just don't trust the people who are dealing in guns. Oh, okay. So what did the banks do? Banks started saying, you know what? We're not going to we're not going to we can't carry your loan anymore. Well, Donald Trump, through the what's called the OCC, the office of the comptroller of the currency, he wrote in, in that office, that banks cannot discriminate. They cannot say, we're not going to make a business loan to guns. You can't do it for for ideological or political reasons. Well, people have been watching this back and forth because the OCC changed hands. And people have been saying, I don't think this is going to stand. I think they're going to take this out. Well, they made their decision yesterday. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Man, I 
I read this review from the L.A. Times about Andy Noe's new book, and uh, holy cow, Andy, you are an extremist and a liar, and you're making things up, and you think that Antifa is bad. Whew. I agree. I agree. Um, you are uh, everything except you're a liar. Um, you think that Antifa is bad. This report says... Um, let me give just give you a bit of the review. I know you've read it. There's an alternate universe out there in which we never have to ponder, let alone read unmasked provocateur. Andy knows supremely dishonest book on the left wing anti-fascist movement known as Antifa in that other world far, far away. Marjorie Taylor Greene remains a nutty CrossFit enthusiastic uh, enthusiast from Georgia, not a member of Congress. And we know nothing about her musings on Jewish space lasers, the execution of Democrats or false flag school closings. If you find that universe, please send directions. So they say that your book is part of that universe. Andy, can you respond to some of the charges in this? Sure. Well, first, uh, happy birthday, Glenn. Thanks for having <laughs> Thank me you. on again. You bet. So uh, I'm not surprised by uh, the ad hominem attacks in this uh, review that was published in, in the L.A. Times. Uh, I wrote in my book, as you recall, about the useful ideas and fellow travelers for Antifa in journalism, and I would include this writer as part of that. Um, I was, as a journalist myself, I was just surprised at um, the really unprofessional invectives that he used against me, considering he works as the White House correspondent for the Yahoo News. So um, it was very quite despicable. Uh, doesn't really counter any of my arguments. Instead, there's a line where he said that I would make uh, Harold Goebbels proud um, he says my book is, he compares my book to uh, what the Nazis did and their propaganda. Yep. So very disgusting, nasty um, smears, as you would uh, expect to see on a blog, not by somebody who works as a White House correspondent for a news site. So let me give you a couple of things. Um, Andy No is singularly focused on inflating Antifa's importance. In his black-clad, white whale, his mark-spouting Moby Dick. Are, do, do you believe you're inflating their importance in what's going on? No. And this writer, Alexander Nazarian, he probably wouldn't think that either if he ended up in a hospital with brain hemorrhage by Antifa. Well, let me give um, you what he says about that. No claimed that he was uh, that a milkshake was thrown on him and it contained concrete but far more likely it was a vegan blend heavy on cashew butter so right yeah so he doesn't say it was he said it was more likely can you tell me andy do you know the difference between concrete and cashew butter so he's trying to downplay my injuries. Um, if he had doubt about my uh, diagnosis, he could have reached out to me and I would have provided the documentation from the hospital so he could see. And he could look at the CT scan as well. Well, my brain was bleeding. I don't think he um, I think he knows that it wasn't. He wrote no was punched and kicked as well. He claims to have suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. So, right. I mean, doesn't he know better than you? 
because what he goes on right after he says what goes unmentioned is that no had a history of embedding with right wing groups. Now, I don't know what that has to do with your claim of a cerebral hemorrhage, but he says you had a history of embedding with right wing groups, including, according to persuasive allegations, he has denied the white supremacist outfit Patriot Prayer that provoked Antifa into very fights that he then films. Yeah, so he's digging up these smears that were printed in a local publication in Portland where a one of the far-left reporters there had interviewed somebody who was given a pseudonym, and he uh, was an Antifa person who claims to have embedded in Patriot Prayer and put out this absolutely false claim that I had a partnership with Patriot Prayer for mutual protection. Now, um, my lawyer ended up writing a letter to the publication asking them to retract it because these were lies. They chose not to, and they're protecting the identity of this anonymous person, if he even exists. And so I can't even confront my accuser, and then that smear gets laundered into bigger and bigger publications like a Wikipedia page, like the LA Times Review. I mean, you know how it works. You've been in the in the media spotlight oh, for yeah. years and years. So um, they do this type of stuff to try to, they slip these stuff in that has nothing to do with the book to try to discredit and smear in the most disgusting of ways. He says, um, distortions and untruths hover like flies around every shred of confirmable fact. The same section of a mask that ends with no's uh, statements on the United States portrays a mid-November Stop the Steal rally in Washington as peaceful and celebratory with no mention of the Proud Boys amassed there. The counter-protesters, meanwhile, are a marauding gang. The nation's top mainstream Antifa scholar, Mark Bray, wrote in the Washington Post that Antifa is not an organization. Rather, it is a politics of revolutionary opposition to the far right. So that line where he quotes from Mark Bray is particularly telling because Mark Bray, as I write in my book, is an Antifa extremist who works in academia. Uh, his Antifa handbook, which is what he's most infamous for, actually raises funds for the Antifa International Defense Fund. So I don't know how he can criticize me for being biased or whatever, and then he's quoting from somebody who's actually part of Antifa as a sort of legitimate uh, hist- historian perspective. The he continues, the right is always reminding us that facts don't care about your feelings. So let us set out some facts. Andy No writes that the numbers and influence of right wing extremists are grossly exaggerated by biased media, while Antifa poses just as much, if not more of a threat to the future of American liberal democracy. He frequently uh, references last summer's anti-racist protest, conveniently alighting the point that 93% of those were peaceful, according to a study from Princeton. A brief published by the Center for Strategic and International Studies, hardly a lefty outlet, found that Antifa had a minor role in what violence did occur, most of which was driven by local autonomous actors, and that organization's threat was relatively small. 
January 6th, the minister, the coup de gras to knows already teetering thesis. It should not have taken this long. However, Trump's own Department of Homeland Security warned last October that white supremacist extremists would remain the most persistent and lethal threat to the American homeland. Yeah, so I hear that, I mean, that 93% were peaceful. It's another way of saying mostly peaceful. What does it matter if it's 93% peaceful if the other 7% resulted in several dozen deaths, the destruction of countless livelihoods, damages of billions to our economy? Um, And as for, I don't know why he's downplaying the role of Antifa if you read my book, as he said earlier in the review, in meticulous detail, I outline how in some major American cities like Portland and Seattle, Antifa have the principal role in organizing the riots. And so, I mean, this seems, again, it's going back to what many journalists and mainstream media do, to always um, deflect from the extremism on the far left to go to the bogeyman that they have on the far right. I don't argue that the far right doesn't exist. I'm arguing that the Antifa and the far left are also a threat in here, as I lay out in an entire book, this is what they actually did. This is how much money they raised. These are the people they killed. These are the injuries they caused. What is the motivation here just to continue to protect? I mean, I have no problem. And and he says in the article that you were forced to admit uh, that Antifa wasn't uh, in charge of the January 6th, um, you know, attack on the Capitol. Um, Andy, I, if I recall right, you weren't forced to admit you were the first to admit you were the first to say, uh, I don't think this has anything to do with Antifa. Weren't you? That's the way I remember it That's that right. day. That's right. I came out on my own uh, and I was uh, interviewed and I've always maintained that I was never forced. Uh, and it wasn't, I wasn't begrudgingly required to say what I said either. Um, I think these people, they want to paint a character, caricature of who I am. They think that I am this, as this review writer um, illustrates elsewhere, that I'm this really wicked fascist propagandist who's taking tactics from the Third Reich in my propaganda. And they're really surprised if I manage to tell the truth. It's um, I mean, it's it's a disgrace that the editor ran this piece in the way it is. You know, I, I can accept criticisms for my writings, my analysis, et cetera, but um, describing me in such disgusting terms to people who, to a political party that was involved for genocide and Holocaust, um, like that's, it, it's too bad that, that that is a norm to be expected in a piece of the legacy. Uh, Andy, I appreciate it, and I, I wanted to give you the chance because I, I think personally um, that kind of advertising you can't buy. Um, when somebody like that does such a hatchet job on you, it just makes me want to buy your book even more. Um, and the book is called Unmasked um, by Andy No. It is um, the book that pretends Antifa is the real enemy. Uh, you can you can uh, find that wherever you buy your books. Uh, it came out uh, what this week? Yeah, or last week. It came out last Tuesday, and has been number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Andy, thank you so much.
Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Bye-bye. I've been telling you about Rectech now for, gosh, it's been a year. And I have to tell you, I am as happy with my Rectech as I was the day it arrived. I still, I had somebody come onto my uh, back porch and said, what kind of grill is that? I said, hey, a grill. That's a Rectech. It is amazing. Now, Dallas, it's warm. If Even if it's a little cold out where you are, you don't have to stand outside to grill. You're going to be mighty uncomfortable in Minnesota, but not with a Rectech. Sleek and sturdy, built from stainless steel, it's got smart grill technology, which means it automatically adjusts to make sure you get the perfect temperature at all times. You can monitor and control it from an app, so you're inside while it's grilling and smoking or even baking outside. Rectech wins the day. Follow Rectech on all social media. Sign up for their newsletter at Rectech with a Q at the end. Rectech.com. That's R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Okay. All right, we're going into a dangerous situation now. We're going to talk to this woman, if you could even call her that, who has been at the White House interpreting for Donald Trump. And I want to just give you the news out front so you know the evil that we are dealing with. Time Magazine reports that she she translated for hands of we need more spooky music that was i mean that really kind of we're talking about a witch the hands of liberty she actually interpreted some of the videos and while the group frequently according to time magazine frequently solicits requests from the public the vast majority of videos it has chosen to interpret with the notable exception of the recent white house press conferences are right wing or pro trump in their sentiment John Henner was interviewed by Time Magazine as a thank you. See, it's much scarier now, isn't it? John Henner, an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, who studies ASL and is deaf himself, said in an email, I was honestly surprised. For me, it would be problematic for someone who has aligned herself with alt-right discourses to be the public face of the White House for the deaf communities and people who are curious about ASL. I don't know about you, Stu, but I, I've come out as ASL curious myself. And uh, I will not hear any of the hate speech because I am ASL curious. Sure. <clears throat> so be careful. Be careful. We're going to have somebody on who has a different point of view. Uh, than half the country, uh, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going into the darkness to see what we can get out of Heather Mewshaw, professional sign language interpreter and in league with the devil. Hello, Heather. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Hi, Glenn Beck. Thanks for having me. I think <laughs> we're so evil that we would interpret a video about Operation Underground Railroad with oh Tim my. Ballard and oh he my. actually mentioned you. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So you did that interpretation. Why would that organization associate themselves with somebody who worked in the Trump White House? I don't know. Human trafficking obviously isn't an issue, right? Yeah. So, Heather, um, tell me about tell me about yourself. And, you know, are you a are you an extremist that 
wanted to storm and kill all the congressmen yourself? Absolutely not. Um, I'm just a regular American, just like anyone else. I'm a mom. I have four kids. I'm, I work. My husband has a job. We're just trying to live the American dream, as everybody says. And I've been an interpreter for 21 years, certified with the Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf, which is a credentialing system that kind of gives you a seal of approval so people know what they're getting when they hire an interpreter. We ha- we're all required to meet a minimum standard. And I've worked in the D.C. area my whole career, and I've worked in a variety of settings. I mean, you name it, I've been there. Um, so I have a lot of experience, and I'm trained to be neutral. So all this talk about perceptions of individuals and so forth. I mean, at the end of the day, I worked at the White House for six briefings, and I've proven myself to be a professional in every aspect of the word. Notice how good she is at her witchcraft. She sounds reasonable, but don't let that fool you. Um, So, uh, uh, Heather, um, tell me what happened and, uh, you know, how you found out that Time magazine had done this this expose on you. Well, um, obviously, I I went and did my job. The White House called me and I, I came in and interpreted the briefing. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking the White House is a neutral entity. They're there to convey information. The press is there to ask questions. And at the, at the end of the day, the deaf community wanted this access. They fought for it and they got it. And since I had been there five times previously, I already knew where to go, what to do, yada, yada, yada. So it was just like, here we go. And, and was um, everybody kind to you? And I mean, when, when Jen Pisaki or Saki, uh, I only say the P. Do you translate when you say her name? Do you translate it a silent P or that's a different story? Um, <laughs> she um, when she said and we're now going to carry uh, and this is our translator for today. Everything was fine with all of you guys. I mean, every, you were you were fine. Nobody said anything beforehand or anything. Right. Or did they? Yeah, I, I, everything was great. I mean, I, the, the um, staff was like, we can't wait to see you. We're going to be watching you. We're going to be rooting for you. I mean, it was a very positive. It is a very positive environment. Um, so I never got any negative flack. And it wasn't until after I got home and I started looking at social media and a prominent deaf person in our community named Niall DeMarco, who's like a celebrity. He was on Dancing with the Stars and so forth. And he's a huge advocate about um, language deprivation in the deaf community. Like he doesn't want people to go without language, but yet he um, retweeted this Mr. Henner's tweet um, and it just went crazy. And a lot of people wanted to cancel me. And what was Mr. Henner's tweet? He, He made a tweet. It was like a, it was like a thread and it was like gather around folks. Here's this interpreter and here she is wearing a Trump hat and a Trump Pence t-shirt and she's interpreting and it, and he never said my name, but it caused people to dox me. It caused people to start sending me hate emails because they found my professional website and my email address was on there. And uh, I ended up having to tell my contact at the white house that, you know what, I probably shouldn't come back (laughs) right now um, because of, the mob. So, so they didn't, they didn't say you're out. Uh, no. You called and said, I can't do it. Right. Okay. Well, that's good news. Do you think you're mm-hmm. going to be invited back? I, I think that if I did, if they did invite me back, that it would have, to, there would have to be a discussion and they, they might have to come out with some sort of 
statement or something because right now I think it would be too controversial and it would just take away from the intent of why the interpreter is even there in the first place. So, but isn't that one of the things that a white house should do is to say, look, she, she, she's doing her job. She's never interpreted it incorrectly. And this is information that everybody should have. Do you think they should stand by you or they should just move on? a good question I, I i don't know i i, I feel like they have um they have a lot of bigger things on their plate right now than to deal with this so i i really don't know the answer to that question holy cow are you kind um <clears throat> uh but that's the way witches are <laughs> that's the way witches will do you notice she didn't say one of her children's name was damien <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, and she'd probably deny it if I asked her if that was her son's probably. Name. Um, uh, so tell me one one last thing. The idea of of you being an extremist because you translated these things and you voted for Trump. Uh, Time magazine says that, uh, you know, it is that you are a Trump supporter and that you have done interpretation for or interpreting for uh, right-wing political things, uh, which none of those, <clears throat> none of those are illegal or immoral. Um, you say that this is all, this is all started with you because you have deaf parents and this, it means more than politics to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to have discussions with my parents when they don't have the same access to information uh, that I do. So whether it's news clips on, on the internet or a radio show like yours or whatever, um, it's like I'm constantly having to explain things or whatnot. And then one of my colleagues who's deaf was like, you know what, I just want to get access to the other side of the story. Like I get a lot of the, the left liberal side, but I don't hear a lot about the conservative side. And uh, the, big, the biggest push that he said was like, we just need somebody to just give us the access, someone to help us get the access. And over the summer with COVID shutdowns and everything, a lot of people were isolated, especially the deaf community when they're used to being together and communicating, they were home. And so with the riots and the protests, there were a lot of TikToks and live videos that were being posted on social media and they're not accessible. And so he asked me to help out. And I thought, well, this is a noble cause. I mean, I'm a conservative. I could help out. I wouldn't I wouldn't be skewing the message or anything. So he started this group, my colleague, Hands of Liberty, and we just took requests from the deaf community and they request things. They like Terrence Williams. They requested Tim Ballard's videos. They would request uh, Trump rally videos. Wow. I mean, just, you name it. They would request that. So you guys didn't you guys didn't put out a list. You just requested what the, the community wanted. Right, right. And we would accommodate them. So we did do that big um, frontline doctors video with, with Stella Emanuel and Dr. Simone Gold at the, um, at the um, Supreme Court that happened last summer. Yeah, okay. And that was a huge video, right? Like it went viral. Like YouTube kept taking it down. Facebook kept taking it down. They kept putting it back up. And the deaf people didn't have access to that because, of course, the networks weren't going to show it. So there wasn't closed captioning access like you would have on TV. So we were like, okay, we'll interpret it. And 
we started getting strikes on our pages and our YouTube channel got taken down eventually because we were interpreting is misinformation per se, which is what this so, time article talked about too. And it's like, well, you know what? Like it's on the internet. So if a person like you and I can just click a button and listen to it real quick and make our own assumption, why can't a deaf person do the same thing? So it's really, it's, I mean, it goes again to who has a right to tell you what to watch and not watch, except, you know, hearing people, um, they are enabled to listen to anything and they can hear it. But deaf people, they're watching a video and unless they can read lips and unless it's it's really clear, they, they can't get the information. So they can't say that's ridiculous or I believe in that. They, they can't make a judgment. They have to trust other people. Do I have that right? Right, right. And then they have to read the comments or and kind of see what people say. And you know how comments are. They just yeah. evolve into craziness. So there's no real um, information there. And then all they go off is the views. So a lot of deaf people say, well, this got like 700,000 views, but I can't access it. But it's popular. Or their cousin sends them a video on Messenger and they're like, well, I don't know what they said. Um, so this allows them to have that dialogue with their friends, with their family, just like we do. Like we start, we're like, look at this crazy video. Um, and it's, it's just one way to get them accessibility and it's protected under the American with disabilities act. If they request it, they're supposed to have it. And then because I'm working as an advocate for them, I'm also protected. So, um, it's just unfortunate that people get triggered by the hat because, um, when I wore it, I wore it for a specific video, which is when he was dancing. It was a compilation of him dancing to the YMCA. And a lot mm-hmm. of deaf people didn't even know that he did that because the news channels didn't show that and they don't hear music. So they don't really associate it. They just might have seen random clips of him dancing and they're like, oh, OK. But I think after interpreting the requested video, they were like, oh, wow, like this was a phenomenon, like it took off. And now I understand why there were TikToks of people mimicking him. So it's just. They're tr- they just want to be part of the culture. Um, and a lot of it is online now. So. Wow, that's evil. Um, uh, <laughs> Heather, uh, we'd like to hire you for the day. We'd like you to translate the radio show. Would you do that? Sure. Yeah, okay. So we'll, um, I'll, I'll, put you, uh, I'll, I'll put you in touch with our producer, and then uh, maybe you can translate uh, tomorrow. <laughs> and you can do it from home because we are COVID compliant here. Uh, oh, right. And so uh, we'll just put you in a little box and you can uh, translate tomorrow, which I'm going to come up with a whole bunch of really <laughs> difficult words uh, tomorrow. I, I think I can handle it. I've worked for rocket engineers, so I think I can handle it. <laughs> yeah, but um, you haven't heard me yeah. mispronounce those difficult words. So <laughs> you're in for a, a whole new experience. Heather, thank you so much. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you probably tomorrow. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. God bless. Thank you so much. I had to say things like the being nice and stuff because I was afraid she would put a hex on me. Did you hear what she was saying about people have a right to hear things? Oh, my gosh. That <laughs> oh sounds my bad. Gosh. Plus, you never know when she's putting a hex on you because you don't know sign language. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Na, 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 na.